On this Palm Sunday, we do indeed shout Hosanna. Shout that as a praise that Jesus has come to this earth to save us. We also shout that and sing that as a prayer that the Lord Jesus would appear again a second time to save us, to take us home to be with him forever, as the author of Hebrews states. When the people shouted Hosanna a couple of millennia ago as Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt, they were focused on him. Everyone's attention centered on Jesus Christ. They waved palm branches and said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. When they said the word Hosanna, they were saying, Save us now. That's what the word means. It's a prayer. Please save us. Our worship is always to focus on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it's Palm Sunday or Easter or any Sunday or any day of the week for that matter. We're to worship Him in everything we say and do. It's the Lord Jesus who came to save us. It's Him who died on the cross for our sins. It's Him who rose again from the grave. And it's Him that is coming again to take us home to be with the Lord. This morning I want to preach to you from John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. With this idea in mind, our faith should be focused on Christ Our faith should be focused on Christ. If you have a Bible with you this morning, please find John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. And we're going to get into God's Word together. The title of the message today is Less and More. And again, the scripture passage is John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. When you found your place in God's Word, would you say, I'm there? If you haven't found the passage yet, say, hold up. All right. Some of you aren't brave enough to say, hold up, apparently. But I think most of you are there. So let's take a look at God's word together. John chapter 3, verse 22. The Bible says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he remained with them and baptized Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, He who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. 
But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. The main idea that we see in the verses we just read is that our faith should be focused on Christ. On no one else, on nothing else, only on Christ. From these verses, I want to share with you at least two ways we are to focus on him. First, in verses 22 through 29, we learn that we are to focus less on who baptizes you, and more on whom you believe. You are to have a faith that is focused on Christ. And in order for you to have a faith that's focused on Christ, you need to focus less on who baptizes you, and more on whom you believe. Sometime after Jesus had his nighttime conversation with Nicodemus, he and his disciples went into the land of Judea. Based upon verse 22, we get the idea that Jesus baptized his disciples. Based upon John chapter 4 verse 2 later on, we get some clarity that either Jesus was overseeing his, his disciples who were baptizing or that Jesus only baptized those 12 disciples and no one else. Either way, Jesus was not baptizing people by the thousands or even by the hundreds. But some people took note of the baptisms occurring among Jesus' band of followers. While these baptisms were occurring, John the Baptist was also baptizing. Because that's what he did. You don't get a name like John the Baptist if you're not baptizing, right? People kind of expected John to do that at this point. He'd been baptizing folks for quite a while. We were introduced to John the Baptist back in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And we noted that John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin that God had sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. Jesus came onto the public scene one day when John was baptizing because that's what John did. And John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
John then baptized Jesus, the Lamb of God. John would baptize people typically who repented of sin so that they could be symbolically cleansed and thus ready to receive the message of the coming Christ. John the Baptist also preached with boldness and conviction and he would later on end up being arrested and then beheaded for his preaching. Amidst the baptisms that were occurring among Jesus' followers, And among John's followers, a dispute occurred between some of John's disciples and some of the Jews, probably Jewish authorities and Jewish leaders, about something that had to do with purification. We don't know the exact details of this disagreement because Scripture doesn't give them to us. But we do know that before John came on the scene preaching... Baptism, Jews would engage in the practice of baptism in this way. The Hebrews called baptism uh, mikvah. It was a ritual immersion that was meant to achieve ritual purity. In other words, if you had been ceremonially unclean, you would have to immerse yourself in water to again be ceremonially clean. My thought is that some of the Jewish leaders were complaining about John's baptism. Because although John was teaching that they needed to be spiritually renewed and transformed in the heart, some of John's followers still weren't keeping all of the superfluous Jewish tradition on the outside. In other words, spiritually they were clean. But religiously, ceremonially, according to Jewish custom, they still weren't. And so you had John's disciples fighting with the Jews. People who had been cleansed in heart versus people who were only cleansed on the outside. This just is my speculation based upon the historical context and the text and Scripture But whatever was going on, I think we can all relate to different groups of people arguing about religious matters, right? Maybe not. So maybe you want me to bring up some of the arguments from the past between the Church of Christ and the Baptists. You want to go there this morning? All right, good, Daryl. Just in case we need to make sure we're all on the same page here. Uh, do we need to talk about the, the disagreements and the disparities between the Baptists and the Sprinklers? I mean, the Methodists and the Presbyterians. We need to go there? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Those conversations most of the time don't end well, do they? You get family, ma- family members who hate each other's guts. You get friends who are just divided as can be over these things. This is the kind of conversation that John's disciples were having. It was heated. And here's what ended up going on. These people came to John, and man, they they were hot. They were angry. They were mad. They came to John the Baptist in verse 26, and notice what they do. 
they tattletale on Jesus and his followers. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, Jesus, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Maybe John's disciples thought that since they had lost their argument with the Jews, they could win against Jesus and his followers. Somebody picked a fight with us, let's go pick a fight with somebody else, right? Maybe they thought that they shouldn't be the only ones who were getting berated by the Jewish authorities. After all, if they're coming down on us, they should be coming down on Jesus and his people too. Or maybe they were just mad that people were going to listen to Jesus preach instead of coming to listen to them. Whatever the case, John's disciples complained to John. But John set the example and encouraged them in verses 27 through 29. Look at what John said with me one more time. Verses 27 through 29. John answered and said... A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. What was John getting at? What was he communicating to them? He was telling them that they needed to focus less on who was baptizing and more on whom they were to believe. John the Baptist was not worried about losing followers. Man, in our social media driven culture, that's a lesson we need to learn, isn't it? John wasn't concerned about losing followers. He was concerned about Jesus gaining followers. And if that meant that some people stopped following him and started following Jesus, he was just fine with that. The only reason he had had followers in the first place is because the Father had sent him to prepare the way of the Lord. And he had done that. John had not come baptizing so that he could attract mass crowds of people to himself. He came baptizing to prepare for the Messiah. John was not the man of the hour. Jesus was the groom who had come for his bride. Let that analogy play out in your mind. In about a month and a half, we have a couple of church members that are going to say their wedding vows down here in the front of the sanctuary. Uh, I didn't see Sam and Haley this morning. Sam, oh, they're, they're back there in the back. They're hiding. Did you guys just know I was going to pick on you today? No, you're, you're sitting with all of Rumi's family. I'm glad. It's good to see all of you back there. But Sam and Haley are going to get married up here about a month and a half. Haley probably knows the exact number of days. Sam will figure it out. He'll, he'll show up. He'll be fine, <laughs> right? But I want you to think about this, right? Just picture their wedding day. Sam's standing down here in the front, waiting for his bride to walk down the middle aisle. He's got his best man standing there beside him to support him and to be here with him on that special occasion. 
And as his beautiful bride comes down the aisle, all googly-eyed and crying and just ready to marry her husband, all of a sudden, from behind Sam, steps out his best man, front and center, and grabs Haley by the arm and says, man, I am so glad you're marrying Sam today. I'm glad I'm here to be a part of it all. Isn't this awesome? And to top matters off, he gives her a little kiss on the cheek and then hands her off to Sam. What would you guys think if that happened? It wouldn't be good, would it? I might have to do a funeral and a wedding on the same day, right? That wouldn't be okay. Sam's best man is not the man of the hour, right? What John the Baptist is saying is this. I'm not here so that people can look at me and focus their attention on me. I'm here to shine a spotlight on God's Son that He sent to save us from our sins. Just as the attention is not on the best man at a wedding ceremony, the attention should not be on a person who is baptizing. It should be on the one who has came to, come to save us from our sins. The one in whom we believe. We need to learn a lesson from this story. From John's followers. So I want to ask you a question. What's more important? The name of the man. The name of the person who baptized you. Or the name of the one in whom you were baptized. Is your faith about following Jake or is your faith about following Jesus? Is your faith about following whoever baptized you or is your faith really about you personally following the Lord Jesus Christ? I've had the privilege, the honor to baptize many of you. I thank God for that privilege. But what happens when I'm no longer your pastor? Are you still going to follow Jesus? What happens when I'm dead? Is your faith still going to be alive? This is what John's disciples were facing. John was kind of moving off center stage and Jesus was coming on the scene. Were they going to keep believing what John had been preaching? Or were they going to go, ah, I don't know about this Jesus guy. He doesn't seem as fiery as John did. He's got one of those white tunics on instead of that camel's hair. I don't really dig that. It's not my style. Let me ask you another question. What's more important? The name of the church where you were baptized. Or the name by whose blood you enter into heaven. What happens when you move away from First Baptist Church, Walnut Ridge? Are you going to stop following Jesus? Are you going to start sleeping in on Sunday mornings? What happens if for some reason this church facility was to close its doors? Is your heart still going to be open to hear from the Lord? To listen to Him and to obey Him? We need to focus less on who baptizes and more on whom we believe. Our faith should be focused on Christ.
That's a good lesson to learn. But that's not all that John said. If we want to have a faith that's focused on Christ, we need to note a second way that our faith should be focused on Him. And we see it in verses 30 through 36. We need to focus less on the speaker on stage and more on the Son who saves. Look with me again at verses 30 through 36. John the Baptist said, He, Jesus, must increase, but I, John, must decrease. He who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Here's how John concluded his little segment of preaching to his disciples. Are you listening? Verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John the Baptist not only baptized, he also preached. And he preached with boldness and fearlessness. People either loved or hated to hear John preach. He was just that kind of a preacher. But as much as he loved to preach, he loved Jesus even more. Jesus was the one that he was preaching about. John told his disciples that they had to believe in the Son of God. Not that they had to believe in him, in John, but that they had to believe in Jesus in order to know the one true God and to have eternal life. God the Father had sent His Son to die on the cross and to rise again from the grave for the forgiveness of sin and for eternal life for all of those who believe in Him. The only reason that it was important for people to listen to John preach is so that they could hear that God had sent His Son Jesus to save them. The only reason... That it's important that you listen to me preach from this pulpit. is so that you can hear the word of God preached. You understand? I love to preach too. Just like John did. I'm not as good of a preacher as John the Baptist was. But there's really only one of him. Right? But I do my best to preach the truth of God's word. So that God's people are transformed. And I've had the privilege to learn a lot about preaching from different preachers and pastors over the years. Some I've had as professors and some I've been able to learn from because I was a member of their church and others I've just become friends with and taught to them about pastoring and preaching. One thing that I do to learn more about preaching is to ask preachers that I respect and admire a simple question. And here's my question that I ask them. If you could tell me one thing about preaching, what would it be? Because you know how preachers are. We always have stuff to say. I just want one thing. Some preachers will give me four or five things. I'm like, no, it's just one, just one. What's one thing you tell me about preaching? I think it's a good question. 
And I've asked that same question to many different people at this point. I remember picking up a a preaching professor from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, He had come to Olive Branch, Mississippi and was speaking at a conference. And I had the opportunity to go pick him up from his hotel and to drive him to the conference where he was speaking so that I could talk with him, spend some time with him. His name is Greg Heisler. He wrote one of the best books on preaching I've ever read. It's called Spirit-Led Preaching. And I got to talk to him in the car. And so I got to ask him my question. Well, we, we kind of got the particulars out of the way. I knew who he was. He didn't know who I was. So I told him my name, where I was from, all that kind of stuff. And then I said, uh, Greg, I, I want to ask you a, a question. And he said, okay. I said, if you could tell me one thing about preaching, what would it be? He said, Jake, that's a really good question. He said, but you're going to have to give me a little bit to think about it. I said, okay, that'd be fine. Later that day, after the afternoon session of the conference was over, I had given him a ride back to the hotel. He said, Jake, I thought about your question. If I could tell you one thing about preaching, this is what I would tell you. I would tell you to take on the mentality of John the Baptist. He must increase. I must decrease. To this day, that's still the best answer I think I've heard to that question. I've heard a lot of good answers. My favorite moments in preaching ministry are not when people come up to me on a Sunday afternoon and say, man, Jake, that was a really good sermon today. We thank you for the encouragement, but those aren't my favorite moments, to be honest with you. The reward of preaching the good news of Jesus is not that I am praised as an eloquent speaker or an effective communicator. That wasn't what John the Baptist was after either. In fact, those who have truly preached the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God have never been after that. Whether it's Billy Graham or Adrian Rogers or whatever preacher you admire and respect, those who have preached the word of God to bring glory to God have preached not so that people tell them they've done good, but so they come to know the Jesus that they're preaching about. My goal is not to preach on the biggest stage to the largest crowd. What gives me the most joy in preaching is when someone comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason I preach is so that more people may come to know, love, and serve the Son of God who knows them better than anyone else, who loves them more than anyone else, and who served them by giving His life on the cross for them. That's why John the Baptist preached. That's why he spoke from center stage for his little time that he had. Not to bring glory to himself, but to point people to the light of God in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. That's why I preach. That's why I live a life of Christian service. I want to ask you a question now, Christian. Why do you serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it so more people can come to know and love and serve Jesus? Is it so God's people can be transformed by His truth? 
Or is it so that other people look at you and pat you on the back and say, man, way to go. You're a good guy. Or so that ladies look at you and say, you know what? I just love you so much. You're just such a great person. Hey, listen to me. Not all of you may be preachers who stand behind a pulpit. But if you follow Jesus, he is going to give you a platform in some way, shape, or form through which you will have the opportunity to share about God's Son, Jesus Christ. And whether that's from a stage, a literal stage, where hundreds or thousands of people are listening to you, or it's just your little office at work, and your desk where you have one or two conversations with folks, you have the opportunity as a believer in Jesus to make much of Him. So don't spend your time making much of yourself. If we are going to have a faith that is focused on Christ, we're all going to have to learn how to focus less on the speaker that's on the stage and more on the Son who has come to save. Our faith must be focused on Him. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. As we've opened God's Word this morning, I pray that your heart has been opened to hear from God. I believe that when God's Word is preached, God is speaking to people's hearts. And I'm not sure exactly how he's spoken to your heart today. But I found that the best way to respond to God when he's speaking to my heart is simply to respond in faith and obedience. If our faith is the focus on Christ, and you've heard that today, how do you need to refocus your faith? How do you? to refocus your faith has your faith your Christian faith been completely and totally dependent upon a pastor or a youth minister or hey listen a grandmother or a Sunday school teacher or a father Listen, God gives us some wonderful people in life to point us toward Him. But our faith should not be focused on those people. Our faith should be focused upon the person of Jesus Christ. And maybe instead of looking to those people to carry your faith, you need to get your eyes fixed back on Jesus this morning. And maybe for some of you, who are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You haven't been serving Him to make much of Him. You've been serving Him to make much of yourself. And here and now in this worship service, the Holy Spirit has pointed that out to you. And He's saying, yep. Yep, Jake's talking about you today. You need to point other people to 
to Jesus. If that's you and you're in that situation, would you just choose to step down off the pedestal and to lift up Jesus high on his throne where he belongs so that people can focus on him? Maybe you're here today and you can't refocus your faith because you've never truly had faith in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you why John the Baptist baptized and preached. I want to tell you why I baptized people and why I preached. It's because God sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. We cannot be better people on our own. We cannot try harder and make it to heaven on our own. We cannot do enough good to erase our bad so that we're forgiven of our sins. The only way that we can be saved from our sins is through Jesus Christ. God sent His Son Jesus to this earth. He lived a perfect life. And then He died on the cross. He didn't die on the cross for sin He committed. He died on the cross for the sins we committed. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was a substitute, a sacrifice on our behalf. And if you will believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and that He was buried and rose again, He will forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life in His name. That's why your faith should be focused on Him. And if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Him, I want you to more than anything. I'll be standing down here in the front during this song of invitation in just a moment. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus, or if you're here today and your faith hasn't been focused on Jesus, it's been focused on some other person. Or if you're here today and you're a servant of Jesus, but you've been serving to make much of yourself and not of Him. Would you come down here to this altar today and repent and refocus your faith on Christ? If you need to speak with me, I'd be happy to speak with you. If I can pray with you in any way, I'd be happy to pray with you. As God calls you today, would you respond in faith and obedience?